0: So, let us uh, begin in prayer, shall we? Our God and our Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your great mercies that are upon us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to hear your word, give us wisdom and understanding, Lord, that we may believe it and live it. We ask this in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. So... um, You know, I'm reminded by uh, what happened last night at at the house. We had some uh, college students, some mids, and some others, college and career age folks up to the house last night. Um, And, uh, you know, I I presented a a short Bible study that we talked through and went through some things and then opened up to questions, which took us uh, pretty late last night. But, that, I mean, that's a good thing. What I'm saying is questions are good. Right? Um, everybody has questions trying to understand God's word. Um, if you don't have any questions, um, I'm going to question you. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we ought to be wrestling with God's word um, so that um, we can um, submit to it. But I'd, I'd suggest to us all that we submit to it as Jacob submitted to the angel jesus that he was wrestling with right in other words hold on to it don't let go okay hold on to it don't let go until god blesses you right so keep tarrying keep wrestling keep asking the hard questions now last week um, you know we, we've been working through this passage in uh, Matthew known as the Olivet discourse. And last week, uh, towards the end of the class, we spent some time uh, reflecting on um, God's promises to Israel in his covenant and what that meant and what that looked like. And we had to cut off our discussion uh, because we simply didn't have enough time and I assured you that I would pick it up again this week. So um, I'm going to, I I have a number of notes on this, uh, but I am going to uh, bring to bear the the verse that is uh, most commonly associated with the idea that somehow um, all of uh, Israel will be saved. And uh, we are um, taking a look at, if you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, and uh, uh, let's see, I have a whole set Let's see down at. Okay. We see in Romans chapter eleven, and in my notes here, the yes, verses eleven through twenty five. Would somebody like to read that passage for us? Romans 11.
1: Okay,
0: go ahead. Chapter 11, verses 11 through 25.
1: So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the death? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature an olive, wild olive tree and grafted, Contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? 25.
0: Okay, and I'm going to read 25. Yeah, yeah, you read 25, then I'm going to read 26.
1: Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in.
0: In verse twenty-six, and so all Israel will be saved. As and then it goes on, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So, a lot of times, people read this verse, and, and we actually read an extended passage here. But they'll come to this this passage in chapter eleven, and they say, "See, all of is- all Israel will be uh, restored and and uh, be saved," and all by itself that verse stands in conflict to what we know of the scriptures, right? So we, we have to say, and by that I mean this, right? If you have the seal, in this case for Israel, circumcision, right? And you have the law, right? God's uh, spoken word on how to live. Do those things save you? No. No, Right? Um, so, if, 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 we, if we know that to be true, and we can look at beginning in the very beginning of scriptures, we can see how God deals with unfaithfulness of Israel, okay, and he um, points out that having the sign, having the law, having the words of God don't save you, what saved, what, what, how was Abraham credited Righteousness. By faith. He believed God, right? And faith is demonstrated by what? What does James say? Works. Works. In other words, your faith has a natural outworking of your uh, belief in God through the things that you do. It's a gift. gift, 100%. But but what, what happens is people can sometimes read this verse and say, you see... That, that Israel has to be restored. All of these things have to be restored in order. And, and this, of course, is coming into context as we're talking about um, the Olivet Discourse and thinking about Jesus' uh, condemnation and prophecy that the temple would be destroyed and that the, uh, the Old Covenant way of, of worship and being connected to God... And having your sins forgiven was fulfilled in him and that these things were coming to a close. And, and we can dig in pretty far into this um, if, if we like. But I want to point out a couple of things just for us uh, to, to think about. When you see how God works throughout the Old Testament, what, what does he do? He makes covenant promises And then those covenant promises are, first of all, by his providence and predestination, right? He says, I will save you, right? And then at the same time, in that interesting way that God's word puts the mystery and the tension, we have obligations even though he has chosen and predestined us, okay? Do we not? Does he not say when he lays out in in Exodus all of the things of the law, and the promises that he makes that you must do these things follow these things if you reject these things what will happen he he will curse. what curse and bring judgment the curses will come into effect but what does god always do when the judgment falls he saves a remnant which become the seed of the future of God's promises to His people, and, and you see, Israel was always caught up. What, what is Jesus always pushing back against with the Pharisees? Their exclusion of the Gentiles because they're the special priests of God. That's that's what you, you can read through the Gospels, and you'll see that pushed. Jesus is addressing that over and over and over again, and certainly in the Olivet Discourse. And, and what can happen, and I've got to tell you, this happens in the church too, right? We get very prideful in our position in Christ, in our understanding of God's word, and what do we start doing? We start thinking, you know, we're the special people. Those people over there, right, they're, they're, they're not Christians, or they have no value and and what you see god doing throughout the old testament he takes that remnant and and the whole time it's always interesting that when, when you look at it who become the most repentant people in, in throughout the old testament narrative what when when jonah went to nineveh what was the condition of israel anybody know was it was it good were they being faithful no no right did God have prophets in Israel at that time? Yes. Right? Were, were the people of Israel rejecting the, the, the prophets? Yes. Right? When they heard it, they're like, nope. Abraham's our father and we're circumcised. We got the law, baby. Right? That was their, that was their view. God sends a lowly prophet, and by the time he arrives in Nineveh, he's in rough shape. Right. That's right. He looked he looked rough. I, I imagine he didn't smell too good either. I, I don't I don't know what it would be like, but 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 you know, he he endured. He pushed about I don't want to go there, Lord, I don't wanna go there. Those people are so bad. Those Gentiles, they don't they're not even circumcised, they don't have the law. I don't wanna go there. Right? And he knew he needed to deal with his his uh his sins. So what does he do? He gets on the the boat and he starts fleeing from joppa by the way that's important later in acts so he flees trying to get away god brings this big storm of course we know that story he knows that he's the reason for it he's cast overboard big fish swallows him up for three days right (laughs) So, so. Well, well, not the Suez Canal, but I, I, don't know where exactly the fish spit him up. Okay, at some point though, he had to walk, right? He spit out on land. So, right. So, I right. So he was spit out so that he wasn't like swimming around in the water. He was spit out so that he came up to land. I don't know exactly where that was, but, but after three days in the digestive system of a great fish. Um, he wouldn't smell good, he wouldn't look good, um, there'd be a lot of issues with him. And then he had to walk, however far, short, long or far that it was, and he had to go in and he had to preach the, 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 to them to repent. And what does it say happened in Nineveh? They repented. they repented. Well, there's a bunch of prophets in Israel preaching repentance and they're not repenting. Okay. And and yet, what did and, and what did he do? After he went in and preached repentance, he obeyed God grudgingly and goes out and sits on the outside waiting for God to bring down judgment. Right? There's, he he had a hardness of heart. He still thought, right? After all this hardship, yeah, I'm begrudgingly going to do what God tells me to do, and and I'm going to go out and st- sit looking down in judgment on them, waiting for God to strike them down. Instead, God gave them repentant hearts, okay? And, and I'll point out in Acts that, that uh, when you see the, the disciples and Paul going in and traveling throughout um, the Roman Empire, um, a great deal of the people that are first converted are Jews and gentile god-fearers where did he find these people if you if you look at the scriptures where does paul go every time he enters into a town or a city the, synagogue. the synagogues so we're talking about god was already working in the heart so there were there were gentile god-fearers going to those synagogues worshiping god so both jews some jews and god-fearers were the first conversions. I, I think, if my memory serves me right, the only person that we have named that, that doesn't fit in that category in the book of Acts is the Philippian jailer in terms of converts. That's fascinating, we kind of totally overlooked that. Right, so God, so God has been working in the, in, in the, uh, the Gentile nations for generations. There were God-fearers I'm um, already there. By the way, when Peter goes and he has the vision, right? What what town is he in? When he has the vision with the sheet coming down, where is he? Joppa. Joppa. Isn't that fascinating? Right? God is telling Peter to do what? Go preach to the Gentiles, bring repentance there. Right? And he's in the same very town that Jonah went to to try to flee from God to prevent himself from preaching the gospel. And what did Peter first do when the sheep came down? Yeah. God, I can't do that. Right? Right. But, but, but it, you know, um, you, you, you see at first he is acting like Jonah. I can't do that. And he's in the place of Joppa. Anybody ever made that connection before? I think it's fascinating when you think it all out. Now I'm going to swing hard back here. Okay, bear with me. God always saves a remnant of Israel every time He brings the curses in and out of the remnant. Right? He always He always brings He always brings through them. They're the seeds of the, the faithfulness of God's care, not just for the people of Israel but always also for the nations he's always doing that he's done that now too he's saved the
1: remnant all along these 2000 years
0: that's right there's been Horace of Bonar who was a
2: I think
1: I think he lived
0: in Ireland and um, was great, uh, he was a great he was he was a Jewish believer and he was a great theologian and and absolutely uh, I, and I kind of mentioned this before the People of Jewish descent need to be saved like all the other nations. And, and, again, take the whole context of Scripture here. We know that it's inconsistent to say just by your natural birth that you're, you're going to be saved, right? So that, that can't be what this passage says. Also, we, we've, talked about, um, we've talked about what does Paul do in his epistles, Right? What 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 is there's there's always two themes going on. What are they? That's right. He has those doctrines, but he always comes in, and and before he starts beating on sin, he says, "You are the people of God, all of you," and there's no more distinctions, no more degrees of separation. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? Slave or free, right? In Christ, in degrees of separation, it doesn't even matter if you're a man or a woman as it relates to the grace afforded you, right? And so that's that's the implication. What is God doing, okay? He is taking two sets of people, right? Right? the faithful the remnant of israel and the god-fearers and he's taking two groups of his people and he's turning them they're going to die they're going to go through the hard persecution that occurs in the the mid-60s coming up to the destruction of jerusalem and the great um and the great tribulation that comes upon the persecution and killing of christians that goes on from 64 uh from from 61 to about 68 just utter murder you see nero loses his mind and killing christians everywhere and and it, it all comes as this culmination of of all things and then there's 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 a death the death of the the place of worship the old covenant comes to an end when israel's uh the temple is is destroyed right and then what are we new birthed into one people it's simply the church right um, this is what i'm
1: saying making sense
0: Um, off the top of my head, I don't I don't know that passage.
2: That's why every Gentile that will be saved is
0: saved. Is
2: not that what that means? I I believe. Is that, is that exactly,
0: I what it it's you read it in Romans. <laughs> was it was it in this passage? I'm yeah, sorry. It's in verse 25. Okay, 25. Um, well, so this is going to get into something <laughs> that I can talk about, but I'm, um, so I'm going to give you an overview here and you're going to go home, and you're going to come back with a bunch of questions. All right, so it's 9-11, <laughs> so I'm going to give you just a little smidgen here. If, if you look in Revelation, all right, I'm going, to, I'm going to say something first. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God instructs people through angels. This is why one weird when Satan shows up as an archangel into the Garden of Eden. The problem was the things he was saying. Okay, and, and Adam should have known that, um, uh, that he was saying words that weren't true of God and should have stepped in front of Eve, but, but we all know what happened there, and we see throughout all of the Old Testament all the way up until um, we, we come down. Basically, we have a closing out. The angels are no longer instructing and the ones setting free. Um, the, the people of God, right? Where's the last time we see an angel in action with people? Anybody got a guess? Right, well, where Peter, Peter's in jail, right? After that, we don't see any more angels in, in that fashion. Jump into Revelation for a second. There's a transfer of, of power of authority, I mean, in that way. When I say power, authority, from angels to men. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm Okay, all right. Uh, and remember, what, what does Paul say? I, I believe it's in Hebrews. You know, where we're going to judge the angels, right? So that means that you've got to be, you got to be here. When you go into Revelation, what's that? Okay, that's. A, that's, that's right, but, but bear, bear with me here in terms of what we see in the Scriptures. What happens in Revelation? At the beginning of Revelation, there are angels sitting on a throne, or on thrones. How many thrones? It's 24. It's 24 thrones. Okay, if you count all the angels coming out and doing actions, how many are there throughout uh, Revelation? Anybody know? 24. And what, what's happening is, is that these angels are getting off their throne. They're taking their crown. They're sending it down before Jesus, who is a what? He's both God and man, right? They're putting their thrones down. Now, when, when you go further in Revelation, who do we see sitting on those 24 thrones? Elders, right? So, th- so we have elders and apostles. We have people representing the prophets and the apostles they're on those thrones and and re- remember right um, we use the the phrase co-heirs in christ right you, you in, in the in that context that's that what are we heirs to eternal life, eternal life. what else Right, it, it, Just back in Ephesians, a couple of weeks ago, when, when I was preaching, I want to say it's uh, parts of chapters 2 and 3, where he says that all authority has been given to Christ, right? And then, who did Christ give his authority to? The church, right? And so, and so his authority, Christ's authority... We are, those co-heirs, we are co-regents over the authority that's been given to Christ. This is, this is now where um, the, the, the men, right, mankind that are sitting on those thrones, there's this transfer from the angelic tutoring of, of men to the church being the tutors and teachers of the things of God two men okay now So where is all this? where 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 is all so if we just covered in my discussion of the of the you just heard about 18 chapters of revelation right I'm just that's what I'm saying I'm trying to give you <laughs> based off the question that this this brings us to this to this understanding right um, so I want to encourage, you You know, part of Sunday school is for me to come up here and, and tell you things, and part of Sunday school is for you to go home and say, well, if he said this, you know, I want you to be like the Bereans. Go home, read your Bible, and be as skeptical as you want to be about the things I'm saying, but I want you to look at what the Bible's saying. Take the counts. Look at it. What's happening? Okay? And remember, again, if, if we were, th- this is super important, if we were to look at just verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved, and we take that verse all by itself without everything else in the book of Romans, which by the way, th- this whole passage of thought, although it's in the whole book, the emphasis is chapters 9 through 11, that's three chapters that lead up, that are leading up to what he says right here, okay? Okay? And I, I want you to, to understand that you can't just take, and, and this becomes, I mean, it's natural, right? We don't have capacity um, ordinarily just to remember everything we've read and to see the big picture. That's, you know, there's a few people out there that have that ability to remember. But we have to remember the, the general context of
2: Scripture
0: and the specific context of where we're at. And, you know, it's modern textual criticism that brings us to this thing that talks about, so the Bible's written over a couple thousand years, written by over 40 people. There's no inconsistencies. I mean, there's no consistency. It's just kind of all over the place. It looks like, but, but God, from Genesis chapter 1 to the very end of Revelation, it's one Story. It's one narrative. It's one plan. It's one message. So it's consistent all the way through. And so we 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 tend to isolate things sometimes because it appeals to us, and sometimes we isolate things. And in this case, if you took this this passage out of Romans, chapter eleven, you get yourself stuck because it is completely inconsistent with everything else that the Word of God says. Right. And so we take this and that creates a, a lens with which then to start talking about other concepts that the scriptures oftentimes, in, in many cases, um, don't speak to at all. We, we start uh, reading into, well, if that's so, then, then how does that happen? And we don't see where scripture says it. We go into and we create all kinds of things. So I, I think we had a confluence of two things in, in, in the 70s, um, and really it's, it. I mean, it, it starts with the advent uh, or, or, or two world wars, the atomic bomb, uh, great fears. You, if, if you ever want to think about um, living in dangerous times, C.S. Lewis wrote a, gro- not speaking well. he wrote a great essay um, speaking to how to live under the shadow of the atomic bomb. I think you can just google that and you'll find I'll see if I can't find it um and basically is live as a christian every day what's it, what's it called I, I I don't know the title off my head but but I know you could google CS Lewis and living under the threat of the atomic bomb and and it would pop up for you um <clears throat> but so are talking about the angels
1: a transfer from the angels being representatives of men to the elders being
0: gods right now now men are now are now, right, we're jumping. Is that right? Is it, am I in- yeah, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And, and, and why are you saying that? How does that fit into? To- so, so uh, well, what I'm driving at is that, because, uh, well, so, there was two things there's this and there was what i was driving at with the confluence of a couple of things so we had this great horror that that the world's coming to an end because we've we've developed terrible weapons and you know everybody starts talking about the world's contaminated going to come to an end you got you got that on one side and then you get you know somebody that comes out and writes a book like the late great planet earth and gets all kinds of publicity on it and you know we we uh I just think from a marketing standpoint, I think the church got very caught up in it and, and because the vast majority of the church has always been either ah-mill or, or post-mill, and those are terrible designations, but basically the, the true word I'm saying here is preterist, and again, I'll define that for you. That's the word that basically that the things that, that are in um, these end uh, this had to be done in that generation um, and the things in Revelation are largely already completed uh, when uh, the temple is destroyed in 70 A.D. And that, that's been the general view of most of the church um, uh, pretty much since, since uh, the apostles all the way until the uh, mid-1850s. Um, there were a handful of, of groups pushing it. And pushing some, some eschatology differences. And then, again, you go through a, s- a series of, of uh, big wars and fears about destruction, and that just sets us up to be um, maybe reconsidering. And, again, largely, um, you know, it's it's a struggle. If we can be honest for just a second, Bible's a big book covering a lot of stuff, right? And the first thing that we should be doing is is grasping at the low-hanging fruit, right? I'm a sinner in, in need of grace, created in the image of the Almighty. Jesus is Lord. I need to confess my sins and live as Jesus is Lord, right? That's the low-hanging fruit. And then, and then you say, well, if I'm supposed to live, the next part of low-hanging fruit is, how does this apply where I live right now in my life as, as men and women? husbands and wives children parents um you know those all these different relationships family government all this stuff and so then you start you start spending your time and you're grasping i mean can i be i mean i'm being as real as i can what it's like when you come to know christ or you come to that place in your life where you are you recognize maybe you grew up in the church but you recognize that there's an issue right and that you need to live faithfully god illuminates you Uh, bringing forth the promises perhaps of your baptism as a a child when that place happens right you look at the book and there's all this stuff in it and so um we're we're because look i mean again we we have especially today all these distractions right Uh, we have maybe job obligations and some bosses want you to be uh, at work as much as you possibly can and thinking about work when you're not there, right? Um, we have other things clamoring for our attention. And these days, I said this to the college students last night, but if, you, if you're saying to yourself, I don't have time to read the Bible, I don't have time to pray, um, go in your phone and ask your phone for a app usage evaluation. You can do that every day. It'll tell you where you're spending your time and how long you're doing it on each one. I challenge us all to consider that now again there are real things that we have to deal with if you're dealing with a sick loved one if you have new babies if you have kids if you're teaching all these things you're doing there are things that consume your time but i'm just trying to say we are um we're we're somewhat ignorant of the scriptures right all of us right and in part i mean and I say this with the utmost humility, right? In part, that's what you're paying me. You're paying me to help guide you. You're, you're affording me the opportunity to spend more time reading and studying God's word so I can kind of help you, right? But, but, but again, as, as you start walking in your faith, you're trying to go through, and so you're doing what are the things that most immediately affect me? And a lot of times we say uh, prophecy um, and, and these kinds of things, they don't have immediate application, and and in one sense that's absolutely true Uh, in another sense it can it it can create underlying um, directions depending upon how you view um, the scriptures now back to your question right so your question was in relationship to the angels and the thrones would you, you mind reiterating it Okay. Yes. So it, just in the fact that as God reconstitutes, takes the remnant, takes the, 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 the Christians, and he and, and we, we switch from the old covenant and the way that it that it operates in terms of worship and drawing near to God was, was fixed to a geographic location. It's no longer going to be that. Okay? And so there's the clothes that God brings His full judgment, wipes out uh, Jerusalem, and particularly the temple. The temple stones are all toted outside the city, and and tossed into Gehenna, the trash pit that's always burning. Yes. Um, I think it's in Peter where it talks about us being built up as living stones. Right. With Jesus Christ being the chief
1: cornerstone. Right. That-
0: that's right, that's right. I, again, pushing away from the the old order of things, and and I th- does that is that a at least a sufficient answer? I mean, I know it doesn't answer everything, but is I mean in in a general sense? No, yes.
1: Well, another question I have is, I mean, heaven is outside of time. So, all this stuff is happening, is happening. Maybe it's not happened, but it's happening. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we're kind of involved in a process.
0: You're referring to the already not yet idea. Um, So, God is outside of time, Um, heaven. you know, God created the heavens and the earth, and I don't think that was simply, you know, a lot of times we read that and we think it's, well, he created the space part, but but his thrones, um, likely the angels, those kinds of things, he created all of that.
1: But we know there's like a spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. a struggle that's yep. going on yep. simultaneously mm-hmm. while we're doing our little
0: thing. Boy, that's going to just be such a good thing for where we're headed in today's sermon. But I mean,
1: so that's why I'm kind of thinking along Jana's line. I think <laughs> um, have the angels really already been
0: replaced by the elders? I, oh, mean, I, I see know. what you're saying. Um, <clears throat> so, um, what? <laughs> what when when we look at what? How is Satan? Where, where's the most powerful uh, battle against Satan every single week? Anybody? Right here. Right here. Right. right here as the people of God when we enter the throne room of God. Um, God has an entirely different way of doing combat. You know, I, I read them, I loved the stories at the time. Um, but uh, this present darkness and these others where we have this view of demons and angels um, fist fighting and sword fighting and carrying on um,
1: well you do have that story I think it's in Daniel mm-hmm. where the angel says I was trying to get here but I got uh, involved in a battle and I, it took me three weeks to
0: get here so, so th- think about it this way alright in the Old Testament Christ hadn't come yet And the angels um, were mediating knowledge to man for God, right? Christ comes; He is the only mediator, right? And then um, the the church, fellow believers, we then become. we, We are God. Ordinarily, saves people, brings the gospel to people through what means? Through what? The church. Not just the pastor, but that, that, thats right. But 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 how does how does God naturally work that out? Ordinarily, God doesn't just take somebody out of nowhere and illuminates them, right? It's His people, it's His church that God uses to bring the gospel to others. So we're we're back to thinking about—we're the ones that are—we're not mediators other than to say mediators um, of Christ to the world. We are the priests of the world, priests to the lost, to the, to the, to the earth. Does that make sense? Are you following where I'm, where I'm drawing that line across? Because I think a lot of times we think that the battles are being fought um, in the powers and principalities and all of those things, and we're going to get to that. All of this is, is leading up to the you know where we're going in our uh, series on Ephesians um, we tend to think that it's a spiritual battle out there and of course 100% we're going to go through the armor of God and what that means but there's a practical side that's what is is what's happening here Um, God delivers his people through humble means all the time we're going to talk about this in the sermon today but you know you got stories like David Gideon Um, even Jesus, you know, humble, unsuspecting ways. I mean, the whole world is delivered by Jesus Christ dying on a tree, right? The whole world is transformed by that. Um, And even more so, he's born in a barn, right? I mean, it's all humble. It's not the way anybody writes the story. It's not the way that that we all have anticipation god brings deliverance in in humble means right and so the second most important thing we do for defeating satan and hell is faithfulness in the mundane faithfulness to god in the mundane yes would you consider yourself a full creditor I, I want to say a 95%, maybe? I don't know. So you're a partial preterist. Yeah. That's where really the struggle is. So everybody's in a different place
2: there. What is
1: a preterist? Did you ever define it?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll try to define it again. Basically, that the so a partial preterist, which I'm a most mostly there, is basically that says that I believe that most of what's in Revelation has already occurred. Okay? Yes? One of the
2: reasons why I asked you that question
1: about the elders and the angels. Mm-hmm.
2: And,
0: and the ends of the earth in that case is oikomene, which is the, the really the kingdom, right, which would have referred to the Roman Empire, not the world. So it's consistent, I guess, with yes.
1: like what you
2: were saying about the elders. Yes, you know, exactly,
0: yes. Mm-hmm. That, um, that, that's that – and, and, and remember, who is Jesus talking to, right? He's, he, he's talking – well, right, and he is, he is talking to these people, and his whole context is you, this generation, you and and it's not a general you it's a specific you because you can tell the difference in the greek right it's talking to those people that are standing right there in front of them otherwise when he said you know and somebody asks him is you know is anybody gonna gonna make it and he says some of you will be here and you know there's some people out there who take that to say well somehow somewhere on the planet the apostle john is still living for real I, I've never met someone like that, but but there are there are uh, rumors out there that there are people that, that hold that position. Um, anyway, yes, sir. Um, C.S. Lewis's essay in 1948 was on living in an atomic age. Yes. i read part of it. A- yeah. So, if revelation
1: has mostly happened already, mm-hmm.
0: is
2: Jesus coming
0: back? Bodily? So, so so I'll I'll say I'll say this as I said before because. Sometimes people get worried when you say this, there is a final coming of Jesus Christ he w- he will come he he will come what what one hundred percent he comes again right and there is a final judgment there all of that okay so one hundred percent that's true the The issue is we've we've conflated there to being um, two comings because because remember. The coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord; those are always terms of judgment. And so, when he's talking about this, this is what how it comes out in uh, the destruction of temple and, and and that judgment there. All right, we are out of time. So uh, we'll get back to the Matthew text, and I mean, and here's what I want to tell you: this this is the challenge, right? And we're going to finish this up um, here uh, in, in a few more weeks, and you're going to say, "Man, we haven't covered it all." The, the whole point is I'm, I'm driving to a particular thing here. I'm trying to help you understand there's, there's, there is an alternative view um, to um, the, the common notion and, and, the, and this alternative view uh, seems to fit the text much more clearly than speculative um, things out there. And so I just want to say we're gonna set this up for the whole part of how are we supposed to be living, right? Are we living because we're gonna get out of here in five minutes? Are we live in believing that there are generations ahead of us. And that really matters in what you do in your daily life. All right, let us pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O oh Lord, for this day. Lord, please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises to us. Help us to uh, stand faithfully before you. Uh, living out our faith, our belief, in actions of um, worship of you and love of our neighbor.